it's interesting because it occurs in the same passage we were in last week um, where the Apostle Paul um, <clears throat> is having a fight with the Apostle Peter. Um, and we talked about uh, church fights and pork chops and, and uh, bad deacons and bad leadership and sound theology all rolled up into one. It's pretty awesome how that, how that happens when uh, sometimes when things get uh, the most complicated in a church body. Out of the middle of all that comes this massive truth that God tries to reveal. And here the Apostle Paul is having to address and confront the Apostle Peter uh, in his, um, uh, Peter's, Peter's not got a doctrinal issue, he's got a behavioral issue that's blurring the doctrine uh, of what his beliefs are. And Paul sees that so dangerously that he has to step up to that. And so, let me just read Galatians 2, verse 11. <clears throat> Paul writes, But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, that's the church in Jerusalem, there would be very devout Jews that came from, from James's church, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came... He began to withdraw. Greek word means slowly back away from all his invitations to those homes and, and all those people. And he wouldn't spend time with him more. He began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. These devout Jews had some messed up theology. The rest of the Jews joined in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas, who was in a, a, one of the co-pastors of the church there in Antioch, even Barnabas carried away with by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of them all. He did it publicly. Um, I saw that. I, I said to Cephas in the presence of them all, if you being a Jew live like a Gentile, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Paul's saying, you know, there's some irrational thinking you got going on here, Peter. And you're actually misbehaving in a way that's damaging the gospel. I want to just put that out to you to begin with. As Christians, as grace-based, believing Christians, okay, and, and the, the band of that gets narrower and narrower in our country today. But as grace-based, believing Christians, um, we have to stand for the gospel and we have to obey the grace of the gospel. And we have to live in a way that helps promote that. And what we saw last week was that Peter caved into this peer pressure. Um, when these Judaizers showed up, he didn't want to have a bad reputation with them, so he caves into this peer pressure, maybe a pride issue, maybe he's trying to protect some reputation that he thought he had with these zealots. Um, but no matter what his reason, Paul says you are acting hypocritical. You're saying it's okay to eat like the Gentiles and live like the Gentiles, but you won't go do it with the Jews present. And Paul says that is not okay to live that two-faced, hypocritical uh, pretense of a lie. So Paul confronts him face-to-face -face as a leader. Peter took this great influence. Um, and so um, he influenced Barnabas and all those others we saw in the text. Uh, and, and Barnabas and his friends now, there's no more barbecue cookout. We're not having pork roast tonight. Um, we're not eating bacon anymore. I mean, all you know, there's no shrimp fest. You know, we've lost all of the good stuff. I keep thinking of how awesome. Actually, Kendall and I had breakfast uh, at um, Dick Russell's this week. Boy, I love that breakfast there. Goodness gracious. And uh, they got that thick sliced bacon. They do it real crunchy for me. 
And uh, I was sitting there thinking, how awesome would it have been to see Peter the very first time. Uh, you know, in Acts chapter 10, we read all that last week. But the very first time, one of the Gentiles said, hey, you got to try this bacon with your eggs. I mean, it's something else. You know, and I, I, I picture Peter eating that bacon and then looking up to heaven going, how come we didn't have this before? How'd you leave that off our menu in the Old Testament? This is some good stuff. Um, and and yet in all of it, Peter had the freedom to eat with the Gentiles. But then when the Jews showed up, he stopped doing that. And Paul says, you know what, Peter? Not okay, you cannot cave to that. Um, Barnabas and all his friends had done the same thing. They were now all acting two-faced. And uh, the influence was spreading. So Paul saw this as very, very serious the danger that Paul sees in it it's creating two separate lines of theology now you're letting the Judaizers get away with that little nuance of theology that says it's by grace and something you do it's by behavior and by grace that you're saved and Paul's thinking you know I can't let that slide there's no way I'm going to let it slide because we're going to end up with two theologies in the church and it's going to end up with two separate churches now we have in, in modern day culture, we have multiple theologies of church that don't take the grace alone uh, deal. But Paul's not going to let it happen in the core churches that he's working in. He's going to stand against it so strong that the Apostle Paul got in Peter's face to say, Look, I know you walked on water, big guy. <laughs> I know you denied him and had to be brought back in and you got all that right. And I know you preach and thousands get saved. I know, I know in the book of Acts it says Peter's shadow begins to heal people. Okay, Peter's so close to God that his shadow heals people when it passes over him. So Paul could look at him and go, I know you've got all that down. But I'm telling you, buddy... You cannot live hypocritical and violate the message of grace. The message of grace, the gospel that says we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is so important. I'm going to get in your face till you get this right. Okay, now he, Paul stood up to Peter. And one of the questions in the book of Galatians that the Judaizers are trying to sneak in behind Paul and say, you know, he doesn't really have any authority. I'm telling you, you stand up to the apostle Peter, you got some authority. Okay, when you can get in Peter's face and go, buddy... You don't have this right. And if you need me to straighten you out, I'm going to stay right here until this gets straight. And boy, Peter, Paul puts Peter right in the place he should be here with his theology. <clears throat> I want you to flip over to John chapter 10, just so you see how Christ makes this crystal clear. John chapter 10, very misunderstood passage um, theologically, very, very misunderstood. Um, it's been mistaught so many times. If some of y'all have been through our Bible study methods class, I use this one a lot to show you how you can read a passage and completely assume it into another world that it doesn't exist in. Um, but just so you understand, in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about a fold, uh, a sheepfold. He's giving the picture of him being a shepherd and there being some sheep that follow him. John chapter 10, verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter in by the door of the fold of the sheep, <clears throat> but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber, but he who enters the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Um, by the door is a shepherd. To him the doorkeeper opens the sheep, hear his voice. He calls his sheep by name and leads them out. When he uh, puts forth all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow because they will um, flee from him because they do not know the voice of a stranger. Jesus talking in figure of speech, verse 7. Truly I say to you, I am the door of the... Uh, I am the door 
of the sheep. And all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And what we think might be being said there, what we often misread, is that Jesus is talking about he's the door that enters into heaven. Not talking about heaven at all in this passage. Heaven's not in this passage at all. And a lot of people love to go there and say, well, you know, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you enter into heaven through Jesus, and that's how you get there. Um, here's the problem. If you read that, there's thieves and robbers that have snuck into heaven. Wall. How'd they get there? Doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. Jesus is not talking about heaven. He's talking about Israel. He's saying, I have certain ones in Israel, my fold, that's God's fold, that follow me. He's not talking about them being in the fold. He's talking about leading them out of the fold. And you read the text clearly, what I just read, and he says, they follow me out of the fold. And back in Jesus' day, still common they do it in Romania we've seen it some of us been to Romania up on the mountain there you've seen it I think Brandon got to see some of that when he was there with us but um, a bunch of shepherds put their sheep in a little pen overnight a whole bunch of them do so only one shepherd has to stay up and watch the sheep sheep are very vulnerable to anything they have no defense mechanism so anything can eat them or hurt them so they have to be watched and several shepherds would, would build a little sheepfold and all you got to do is have a little wall that they can't step over it's just got to be two stones high and they would just build a little rock wall and leave one opening for the sheep to go in and out. And the shepherd sleeps in the doorway. I am the door, Jesus says. And, and what happens is you get multiple sheep inside there that belong to multiple shepherds. Well, when the, the shepherd's turn to take his sheep, he stands in the doorway and he just calls the sheep by what they know as his voice and whatever sound he makes and follow him. We watched it in Romania. You could beg sheep to follow you all over the hillside when they would come invade our little hillside. Gabe been up there. You could beg those sheep to follow you. And you can't get a sheep to come to you for nothing. Not like dogs or anything else. They just stand there and look stupid, okay, and eat grass and look stupid. But when the shepherd, our, the shepherdess in our area in that, uh, on that hillside, when she would, she would be sitting on a rock watching them graze all over our area, um, and when she would stand up and she would take her stick and pound it on the ground twice, every sheep head in that hill stopped eating and looked over to her. And she'd make one little whistle sound, and here they go. She's like, we're leaving now. Here we go. She had, she, they knew her voice. Jesus says there's a whole big fold of Israelites. Some of them are thieves and wolves. That's the Pharisees, bad teachers, false teachers. But I have a group of them that are mine. When I call them, Peter, Paul, those kind of guys, when I call John, a devout Jew, when I call him Nicodemus, going to be one of those guys, when I call them, they come out the door and they follow me. Okay, so he's talking about the Israelites here. Now look what he says over in verse um, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have, verse 16, I have other sheep. If you write in your Bible, you can just put the word me right there. If you're a Gentile, that's you. I have other sheep which are not of this Jewish fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. He's saying, I've got another whole set of sheep that the Jews have never even thought about. They don't think about the Gentiles. There's no way the Gentiles are part of God. But Paul got that message, and even Peter eventually got that message, and James got that message. And when Jesus says the two are going to become one, he's talking about the body of Christ, the church. Jews and Gentiles are going to be saved by the grace of God and serve the one true living God. That's what he's talking about. Make sense? 
And so Paul in Galatians chapter 2 is not about to violate this plan that Jesus had all along to bring the two together as one. He's not about to let Peter get away with that. And so there's this, and Jeff, we talked about it a little bit last week, but there's this church fight that takes place. Wakes up everybody, give a little energy in there. Um, Peter's, Peter and Paul having a confrontation over this, and it's very, very serious. So one of the ways that Paul knows um, that Peter's simply not right is because Peter was acting fearfully. If you just read in the text in Galatians, Peter... Um, Peter's acting fearfully. He began to draw and hold himself aloof, verse 12 says, fearing the party of the circumcision. Now, it's hard for me to imagine because in my head, Peter is sort of a... He's the getter-done, authority, punch-through-it, make-it-happen guy. You know, when you finally get Peter right with God, you know, he is powerful. And it's hard for me to imagine him acting in of something. You know, it's like I don't think of my brothers, either one of my brothers, they just boldly go where nobody should go some days. They kind of barge in and make things happen, you know, and they just take over some days. Well, that's, I see Peter's personality being that bold, booming thing, and now Paul's saying, you know what I noticed about you, Peter? You had some fear going on. You got afraid, and when you get afraid, fear's not of God. That's a, that's a mark that something in your head is amiss, and now you've taken that something in your head and you've turned it into a behavior problem that's actually blurring your theology and it's blurring your testimony to other people. You understand what happens when we as Christians have been We blur the testimony. When, when Christians go through really difficult times and they act out fear rather than faith, testimony. exactly what's happening. <clears throat> Paul's not okay with it because Peter's such a powerful leader, literally thousands following him by now, um, that he has to deal with that. And you know what Paul says in uh, Galatians chapter 2. Um, he says, um, Peter was, uh, Paul said Peter and Barnabas were not straightforward, the New American Standard word. They were not, the King James says they were not walking straight, walking uh, rightly. And it's, it's, uh, it's the word we get orthopedics from, but ortho to walk and pedia the foot, not walking in a straight line. You know what the gospel is? Straight as an arrow. It's crystal straight. I mean, it's perfectly plumb straight by God. The gospel has no variance in it at all. It's a straight line that says we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. I'm going to just blow you out of the water with the text today on that. So Paul says Peter is wobbling all over, not walking straightly about that. He doesn't have a straight line of reasoning and theology with that. So Paul's... Uh, dealing with this peer pressure deal, and he puts it to him. And he, so today we're going to see some of the finest theology in the scriptures. Paul bears down on hard on Peter to expose his flaw in leadership and his behavior issues. Paul's going to use words like faith. It's one of the strongest places he uses that word, um, like he does in Romans. He's going to use the word justification, which we're going to just enlarge for you today. He's going to use law, and he's going to use grace to clarify once for all, the uh, simplicity of the gospel. So look at chapter 2, verse 15, where Paul now gets right at Peter. And he says, we are Jews by nature. We, Peter, Paul, and Barnabas be included in that. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Now, if I were preaching this to us today, I'd say we are sinners by nature and not Jews. We're not God's chosen. Okay, unless you're Jewish, you're not God's chosen. But Paul's declaring his Jewish heritage right here to Peter. 
We are Jews by nature. We were born under this law system. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we, Jews by nature, have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, since the works of the law, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? Tricky verse, we'll talk to you about that. May it never be, God forbid, it's the Greek way of saying a thousand times, no, no way that can happen. For if I rebuild what I once destroyed, talking about the legalistic system, I prove myself to be a sinner, a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God like Peter. He's saying, Peter, you're nullifying grace. Don't ever do that. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Peter uh, was compelling others by his example as a noted leader. He was compelling them to follow that. And so Paul's saying, you know what? We need to sort this out. So I'm going to give you some massively strong doctrine, Peter. Make sure you get this. We are justified by faith. Okay, if you don't get anything else today, you need to understand what it means to be justified by faith. By faith. Believing in Jesus is not a behavioral issue. It's a belief issue where we believe in Jesus Christ as our only means of salvation. Now, Paul does say, look, Peter, think through this. We're Jews. We know what it is to be law keepers. We've always kept a higher law. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, listen to this. Paul, Paul's writing, uh, in Philippians 3, he's writing to the Judaizers again. He's, he's making a snide remark about the Judaizers in Philippians chapter 3, actually. And he says, um, verse 2, Philippians 3, verse 2, Beware of those dogs, those dogs, the Judaizers. Beware of those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is, uh, it is we who are the circumcision, we the Jews, who worship by Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, Paul says, I have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I can beat that. I'm circumcised on the eighth day according to the exact law. I'm of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, I remember he talks about this, I persecuted the church like crazy because they were doing that whole preaching Christ thing. As for legalistic righteousness... Paul says, I am faultless. I obey every law. As for legalistic righteousness, if you want to put me up against the Old Testament, I met every, every one of them. I lived by the law. He was a Pharisee. He lived by the law. So he says, Peter, we're Jews by nature. We know how to be law keepers. We know how to follow the law and stick with the law. Paul's faultless in his law keeping, but, and he says, I'm not a sinner like the Gentiles. Um, now, the Gentiles, a whole different deal. The Gentiles never knew the law. It wasn't ever given to them. It was given to the Jews, remember? So the Jews naturally assume, well, the Gentiles are just clueless. In this. They don't keep the law because they don't even know it. 
Um, they, they can't keep the law because they don't know it. So, so Gentiles aren't law keepers. Jews are law keepers. Um, and you just you, you put them in two separate categories. But then look what he says. Nevertheless. Even though we were law keepers and they are not law keepers. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. Even we Jews believed in Christ Jesus that we may be what? Justified by faith and not by works. Even though we're law keepers, Peter. We took Jesus at his word of being the atonement for our sins and we believed in him as the means of our salvation and not our behavior, not our works of faith. And so even we devout law keepers devoted um, to, to the word uh, to the Old Testament law, even we have believed in Him. The Jews and the Gentiles are the same. Um, they're sinners all the same. The Jews and the Gentiles are justified by faith all the same. We've, we've been made righteous by what we believe. Now here's the good news. Anybody that simply believes can be made righteous. You don't, there's not a bunch of hoops to jump through. Um, there are churches that you could attend, some, some of them in our culture, in our, our community here. There are churches you could attend that will give you a whole bunch of spiritual gymnastics that you have to do in order to be right with God and saved. Um, they'll say, I, I could even tell you some churches, they'll say, if, you're, uh, if you believe in God but you've never been baptized, you can't go to heaven. That's not accurate, by the way. Um, I believe baptism is extremely important. We're going to have a baptism uh, service. A couple of our youth have been uh, saved recently. We want to get them baptized. Um, it's very important as an act of obedience, but it has nothing to do with your salvation. Salvation is believing in Jesus Christ as the only means of your salvation. Grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. You're justified by what you believe, not by a behavior system. You understand? I know we're pounding on that, but it's so important that we hold that torch up. And we tell everybody we can that's how it works. And if you need a verse to hang that on, this verse 16 is going to be your verse. Um, we are justified. It's a very important legal term. It means to be made right with God. It means to be made right with God. We were made right legally in God's court of law. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's the law. And, and it separates us from God. But when Christ died on the cross, he traded his ledger for our ledger. His ledger was sinless. Christ had no sins on his legal ledger of of documents, I was reading some of my notes this morning uh, from way back when, and uh, when Annette and I took uh, Caleb to uh, New York for that uh, parade that he was in, and he couldn't fly because he collapsed his lung in that very stressful class he was in in high school, that watch a movie class, whatever that was called, um, and uh, he had that collapsed lung. Remember, we had some of you remember that we had to drive him to New York because um, he couldn't fly, so he could be in the parade with them, and. Uh, and I was reading some of my journal notes from that time. And I remember being in that New York hotel room um, and looking at the New York phone book. Um, huge. That thing was massive. And it was one of two. That was like A through G. And then there was the rest of them. And you're like, good gracious. I mean, it's three, four times as thick as our phone book. Tiny little print. And I, and I, remember, I remember devotions that, that uh, week up there. And I had written this in my journal. If I were to list my sins, you know, I would, I would need stacks of these phone books. Stacks of them. If Christ were to list his sins, he doesn't even need a piece of paper. Because there are none. And what justification means 
is he traded, I'll take your stack of sins and list them as mine, and you have my righteousness, my blank slate, and you list that as yours. And when that happens, when that happens, we get the righteousness of Christ, and we are made right by God. We are made right. It's a hugely important legal term. Now, the opposite word means to be condemned. If you want to understand righteousness and what it means to be justified, either before God today, today, right now, the Lord comes back in the next two minutes. You stand one of two ways before God. You're either justified or condemned. It's your only two choices. You know how justification comes? Only through Jesus Christ. You can't do it yourself. You can't work yourself into some system of justification. You can't be good enough to not be condemned. Um, and what God promises us is that the work of Christ on the cross covers it all for us. Just like we say, Calvary covers it all. All of my past, every sin I've ever committed, every sin that I could write like that phone book, every sin's covered by Calvary. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's just such a, a truth. You just need to shout that from the rooftops. I'm completely covered and I'm justified. Now, the other thing is nobody can be justified by obeying the law, reading the law, or knowing the law. The law simply exposes our struggle to be justified. Um, the law, the Bible compares the law to a mirror. It's a great analogy because, and I meant to, there's a mirror back here. I thought about bringing it on stage. Um, but, you know, if, if you stand in front of a mirror and something's wrong, okay? If you stand in front of a mirror and your face is all muddy or, you know, your hair, not my hair, is messed up. I don't, I don't let my hair get messed up, so I keep mine real tight for that purpose. But if you stand in front of a mirror and something's not right, can, you, can, you, can the mirror fix it? No, the mirror just reflects that you're not, and that's what the law does. The law says, here's the purity and the holiness of God. I was reading this morning again in, in some of the Old Testament um, how the priest had to dress to come into the presence of God. Oh my goodness. It's where we get all our, it's where the old folks get the you know, coat and tie, wear your best uh, before God. Um, but man, the priest had so many rituals to go through just to get ready to go into the temple to do a little thing of service for God. They had all this stuff they had to do. You know why God had them do all that? Because he's an annoying God and he likes to be real picky? No, because he's so infinitely more holy than us, he wanted nothing that had any uncleanness to walk in that door. And he wanted all the Jews to understand, you've got to be clean to get near me. Clean. And you know what they find out? We can get all dressed up and decked out and be perfectly clean, take two steps out the door and that little robe catch a little tuft of dirt and pff, we got to go wash it all again. Here we go. We got to go get, we can't, can't take that into the temple. We got to clean again. And then they got to get clean and just be very careful and get in the temple and go, oh, am I clean enough? Am I clean enough? I'm not clean enough. Something bad's going to happen because I'm not obeying the law. That's the whole, Jesus was saying that we're, I am so much holier. God is so much holier than us. We could never attain it. So our justification is not based on the law. All the law does is tell us, you know what, you'll never obey. You'll never meet all the standards. They're too high. It's too far for you to jump. It's too much to reach. It's too many things for you to be to be that holy. You can't. So Christ, you know what I'll do for them? I'll be holy for them. I'll be the perfect, spotless, sacrificed lamb. And when I die on the cross, I will transfer my righteousness to all those who believe. Simply believe. 
All those who believe get my righteousness and no condemnation. I'll take the condemnation. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Make sense? That's what happens at the cross. And the, the, the law is a mirror. Now I want you to go to Romans chapter 3. And I'll just give you a quick warning. We may not actually leave Romans chapter 3 today. If, if Galatians, 16, Galatians 2, 16 is, our, is a pinnacle verse of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're justified in Christ. But in Romans chapter 3, we're just gonna, I'm just going to hit some highlights with you. We'll start in uh, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed. That's the, the law is this mirror that makes you stand in front of it and close your mouth and go, well, I'm not whole, I'm not clean. Okay, we close our mouth and go, I'm, I'm not okay. Um, and all the world may become accountable to God through the law, right? Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It reflects your unholiness. That's what he's saying. So uh, when, you, when you look at uh, verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Um, down to 24. It's great. Um, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption um, which is Christ, in Christ Jesus. We're justified by His grace, not by your behavior. Um, look at verse 26. Um, For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, that He might be... Remember, I, I'll tell you how much I like all the songs that say He did it all. Look at verse 26. That He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus does it all. He, he, has, he is the just one and the justifier of all those who have faith. Um, verse 30. Just keep, you can go right through Romans here. You almost read this whole section as that way. Since indeed God, um, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, is one. Both uh, Gentiles and Jews justified um, as one. Um, chapter 4, verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. This was before Abraham had this law-keeping stuff going. Um, chapter 4, verse um, 9. Is this blessing then upon the circumcised or upon the uncircumcised? For we say, faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. Um, look at chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The next verse actually says we stand in the place of grace. Because we've been justified, we have peace with God and we stand in the place of grace. And you can just go all the way through um, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, some of the strongest writings. All of that is summed up in one verse in Galatians. It's chapter 2, verse 16. And I want to show you how powerful, just grammatically, this verse is. Because I don't want you to ever forget Galatians 2, verse 16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law through faith in Christ, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we believed in Christ Jesus that we 
may be justified by faith and not by the works of the law, since the works of the law shall no man be justified. So if you just take an overview of this verse very quickly, um, I'll give you a couple of thoughts on it. Uh, First of all, um, Paul says in in the overview, he makes this general statement in verse 16, um, a man is not justified by the works of the law. That's a general statement. Then he makes it personal. Listen, he makes it very personal. He actually puts a personal pronoun in the next phrase. Um, He says, um, even we, Peter, James, John, the the Jews, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by Christ. Um, And then he he makes it uh, universal. He says, since by the works of the flesh shall no flesh be justified. No flesh. Now, when he says that, he's actually quoting from Psalm 143. You might make a note in your Bible. Um, some, some Bibles actually note that in your study side, study notes, and some don't. But you might write Psalm 143 out to the side there. Um, because I want you to look at this. You know, I tell you when you're doing Bible study, sometimes you take a verse and, uh, or a passage, and the best thing you can do is try to walk around it like... I always, you know, the new Sherlock Holmes movies are out, and we've been watching those on regular on TV. Um, I love the fact that he was this extremely detailed guy, how uh, Conan Doyle writes about him, how detailed he was, and, and uh, he sees all the finest little details. When you're doing Bible study, that's the best thing in the world for you, is to look for the littlest, smallest details, and, and it's like you walk around the room and see it from every angle you can. You see this passage. So you can see a general statement by Paul, and then he, in the second phrase of this verse... He makes a personal statement that it's a we believe. And then he makes a universal statement that says no flesh can be saved. But you can look at it in another angle and see it like this. It's a very forceful statement because the first statement he says, we know. Uh, nevertheless, knowing a man is not justified. Paul's telling, well, go ahead and put the next one on there. Paul's telling the, the, um, the audience, really at this point he's telling Peter... I have apostolic authority. You do. I know this. I know this. Knowing that a man is not justified by his works. Then he says, Peter, we also have this experiential knowledge as apostles. We have experienced this belief in Jesus. And we've seen the difference in us. And you've had bacon, Peter. You know what that means. You've had some pot roast. Okay? You know what barbecue ribs are like now. How in the world are we going back from that? Come on, you know, let's get those shrimp up there and eat them. Come on. He's saying, Peter, we have, we have apostolic authority because we have this knowledge. But then he says we have apostolic experience. And then he says, and if you, wanna, if you need the real kicker, there's also an Old Testament Bible verse that just nails this straight on. Uh, it's, in, it's in Psalms, and I'm going to read it to you. It's in Psalm 143. Way in the back of Psalms. Psalm 143, the Psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me in thy faithfulness and thy righteousness. Do not, he says, do not enter into judgment with thy servant. For in thy sight no man living is righteous. David's saying, I'm praying that you don't judge me by my behavior, 
because there's no behavior that can make me righteous. There's no justification. And that's the, the quote that Paul uses at the end of this massively beautiful verse that says we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that we're justified by our faith. Paul says, I have apostolic authority to know that. I have apostolic experience to prove it, and I can quote the Old Testament Scripture. How much more do you need, Peter? Go eat with the Gentiles. Tell those Judaizers, either eat bacon or get out of town, one or the other. Come on. Stop misbehaving in your behavior, is what he's saying to him. And so... Peter, Paul goes on to say that we're free from the law, from the bondage of the law. That Peter was behaving like he wasn't free from anymore. And that wasn't okay with Paul. He says, we know better. So, verse 17, he says, we're free. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found sinners, is Christ then also a minister of sin? May it never be. Christ can't be a minister of sin. Now, I want to just... Unlock that verse for you, and we'll probably close with that. And uh, when we get back from the mission trip, I'll, I'll take these next absolutely beautiful verses about being crucified with Christ. And open those up to you. But, but what Paul's saying in, in verse 17, if Christ is not enough, if Christ is not enough, and there is this Judaizer theology that says you need Christ and some more, he's saying, well, then didn't Christ mislead us? At some point, didn't we fall into the fact that he was enough and follow it? And that makes him a minister of sin. He's making us sin now. Peter, if you're thinking that way, you're thinking Christ is making us sin. Why would Christ do that? And then Paul, because I think Paul, I think Peter feels very pulverized. If you if you can get yourself into a frame of mind that you you are being taught this by Paul, kind of in the, come on, Paul, Peter, what are you thinking? You know, I'm posing you to your face on this. Paul's all up in his face. You can kind of get the energy of that. Um, you kind of understand Paul has to, he, he pulls it back just a little bit here. Um, and he keeps using we to try to make it soft. But then he says, if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found sinners, it's Christ in a minister of sin, may it never be. For if I rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Pa- Paul's saying, I'll talk about me for a minute, Peter. Let me just tell you how it would be if this was me. Okay, and, and you know how that helps when you're trying to help somebody see their deal and you go, hey, if I was acting that way, you know, then you kind of get them on the same page. And so he softens back a little bit and he says, Peter, if I were teaching that truth, I would be the transgressor. If I was saying that Christ isn't enough, He's not the just and the justifier. He's only part of the formula. You have to have this obedient system of law that you obey as well. That behavior that saves you along with the belief, if I were doing that, I would be the transgressor. You get me, Peter? And I think Peter's, you know, he's already reeling from that first several blows where Paul's going, hey, it's a universal truth. It's a scriptural truth. It's an apostolic understanding that we've all had. How in the world can you not stand on this? You see why it's so important to preach the gospel of grace and not let anything leak in. Paul's not going to let a little tiny thing that, that's sneaking into the back door here happen. He's like, Peter, your behavior says you think the Judaizers may have something. They don't. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and nothing else can save us. Christ is both the just and the justifier. My faith saves me, not my behavior. Got it, Peter? That's what he's doing. 
And he's saying, if I teach anything else, I am a sinner. I'm a transgressor if I teach anything else. If Jesus taught it differently, he would be a sinner. Now, that doesn't make any sense. He can't be a minister, a diakonos of, of Amartya, a deacon of sin. Jesus wasn't a deacon of sin. That's stupid, Peter. So he's trying to rattle him around. So I just want you to, to follow with me. And like I say, we'll do 20 and 21 when I come back. There's just so much richness, rich truth in there. Um, but I want you to see just um, as we go to, let's go to those lessons here at the end. Um, just a couple of things to, to pull up um, from all of this. First of all, you, you really need to be painfully aware of how simple grace is. Um, Christ's righteousness makes us acceptable and nothing you can ever do. Now, that's theology that's real deep but real tr- simple at the same time. And I want to tell you something. If... <laughs> If you try to live a system of acceptability, God, you're just going to wear yourself out. Take the acceptability that you have to God and know that you have a permanent relationship with God through Christ's work and stop trying to prove yourself to God and just love Him. All He wants us to do is love Him. Don't prove yourself to me. Just love me. If you love me, obey my commandments. That's all I'm asking. Just do your very best. I got it all for you Um, and it's a biblical truth and I want to tell you in our culture you have to protect and proclaim this because it is fast sliding away very few churches teach what we're going through today they say they do Um, Pastor JP was in town just for the weekend to um, tidy up some of his stuff and get get back to the church in Hammond that that he's serving at and he went to a massive I think Damien went with him went to this massive youth camp um in the Carolinas, and and uh, seven thousand kids there, seven hundred, yeah, thousand kids there. And he said the whole week they were there, thousand students. They never presented the gospel clear. Thousand kids in front of you at a youth conference for the summer, and the campus pastor of that church never presented this gospel. So I'm telling you. It's a very big problem in our culture that the gospel is fading away. People are afraid to acknowledge. People are afraid to say what sin is. And when I went to camp a few last week with Josh and others, we made it crystal clear. We talk, I talked three nights about sin to the point that I was afraid the kids were going to be depressed and we had to have them on suicide watch. You know, because I'm like, I'm sorry, but you're sinners. We're all sinners. And, I, and, and you know, it's 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock at night, 8.30 at night, and they're going to get a little sugary snack and go to bed after I'm done. I'm like, I'm going to send them to bed with these horrible thoughts of their horrible sin. But they're horrible sinners. I can't make it any better. You know, so I'm telling the counselors, hey, just watch them because we, you know, pretty tough lesson on them. But I'm sorry. The, the Word of God has to be taught clearly, and we have to protect and proclaim the truth. And there's a whole culture out there that's not doing that now whole culture that's saying you know what that's that's harsh that's really harsh you hurt people's feelings when you call them sinners yeah <laughs> you also save their souls okay so asking you to be just warriors of the truth of this like paul i see the passion and the zeal that paul has to even stand up against peter and say peter we're not wavering from the straight line we will not walk oddly on this straight line of truth we're going to stand on it and I'm going to stand in your face to make sure you got it. It is grace alone. We're justified by our faith in Christ. Amen? Let's bow our heads.
Father, you are an amazing, amazing God. And there are some very good people in our world that have lived good lives. Nothing ever will matter. They just can't live good enough to be what they need to be for you. And so I'm asking you to give us the clear message of the gospel. And I'm praying we would protect the gospel by sharing the gospel. That we wouldn't hide it under a bushel. Um, that we would let our light so shine forth from Northside, from this church, little church in this community, that we would just beam the message of grace. And we would tell people, we've learned that I'm saved and justified by grace, not by anything I can do. It's so clear, so clear in your word. Thanks for making it crystal clear. Thanks for the Apostle Paul and Peter who stood for it and stood alongside you with it. And uh, may we honor you with our teaching and our encouragement to others this week. May we help others know they don't have to earn salvation. Um, they can actually walk free. And uh, you don't have to earn your way into heaven. You just have to believe. And it's all bought and paid for by Christ. We love you for doing that. You're a great, great provider. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, all right. We're going to um, close with a couple of things. Um, I want to um, ask the missions team to come forward. And then the rest of the church body, particularly our elders, but all of you, if you'd come forward. So if you're going on our mission trip with us, I need all of you to come up here and kneel. And uh, we leave Wednesday morning. We're going to leave the church about 3.30 in the morning. So if any of y'all need a wake-up call, we'll be happy to call you. But if our mission team would come up. And then the rest of you, if you'd come uh, lay hands on us and pray with us, that'd be awesome. So, yeah, they got to go get the kids. So, uh, uh, Rachel and Darby. Um, we we uh, we have we're actually building. Uh, um, we're working on a community center, but we've also been ad asked if we would build some public toilets in that community. So we're going to build some toilets for Jesus. That's a new experience for me, but I can't wait. So um, there's the little shed-looking things that we're going to get to build in Munoz, um, village we were in last year. So. And then. Um, the VBS program will be in Lococo where we were last year. We um, and uh, Mary and Rachel and. Robert.